Welcome to Travel Stories with your hosts, Trevor Mountcastle and Tom Kim. This week, we talk the Maldives, whether it's the five-star famine episode, the I've blown my budget episode, or the I can't believe the Maldives is actually pretty good episode. We'll figure out what the real title is by the end, but Tom, how are you today? I'm pretty good. Happy to be here. Happy to have a little fun uh, getting to hear about the Maldives, one of my favorite places. Indeed it is. So I wanted to try to do this a little bit differently because I wanted to try to keep all the Maldives stuff all together. And from what I read, if you bury the lead a little bit and you put the Maldives stuff or, you know, the exciting stuff at the end of the episode, people listen to the beginning of it. So (laughs) I thought we'd kind of cover the flights, do the trip report in a little bit different way where we cover the flights to and from, and then we can spend the the majority of the time kind of talking through the Maldives because I got to tell you, I just fell in love. I mean, I came back from hey, this whoa, trip. Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. I thought you were going to do that later in the episode. I will. I will. But I'm just going to say, I just, I came back from this trip with so much energy because I was able to actually regenerate and relax. Well, let's hear about the flights first because you're changing things up, right? We're doing, we're doing flights first. We are. Yeah. So this was a different way for us to travel. One of my doctors just happened to randomly say, oh yeah, I love flying out of Newark. I just hop on the train from Baltimore and up to Newark I go. So we tried actually training it up to Newark and it actually worked out really well. It's probably a mix between whether it was more cost effective or less cost effective, just because, you know, two or three seats on a train versus one rental car. But I was actually surprised at how well Amtrak shown just for that short Baltimore to, and Baltimore, Washington, I should say, uh, to Newark airport goes right to the airport too. Yeah, I forget how close that Amtrak station is to Newark and how how actually it is kind of a choice for kind of intermodal transport. You know, I mean, you know, back in the day, right, they had those ZFV, right, code share or whatever, essentially on Amtrak, where you could book a ticket, you know, on United from ZFV, and which was actually like, was that uh, one of the stations in Philadelphia? I'm sure our listeners will correct us, but I think it was like the 13th Street station or something right. to that effect in Philly. Exactly, exactly. And so, you know, I, I don't know if those still exist. You know, I haven't thought to even look for a flight from that IATA code in a long time. But, you know, back in the day, you could book those uh, Amtrak flights, you know, and have, if I'm not mistaken, you could actually kind of, you know, not skip lag that uh, Amtrak segment too. And and, and it kind of worked. Yeah, I can attest that that ZFV still comes up on United, or at least did last time I tried it. But I don't know that I found any exceptional fares. Yeah, probably not. But that's probably a, a conversation for another time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, glad that the Amtrak Transit worked for you. It's an interesting one. It was. Unfortunately, because of just our lack of comfort with the timing of trains and trusting of trains, I have a trust issue. We ended up overnighting at the Renaissance Newark, which was a, you know, completely meh, unremarkable, <laughs> not meh, unremarkable overnight for the trip. And then we flew the second longest Singapore flight. I think it's the second longest commercially operated flight because I think JFK is like something like 15 miles longer. But we flew Newark to Singapore and the experience compared to the JFK flight was night and day. Interesting. For one single reason. You want to guess what that reason was? Bulkhead? Yes. In my opinion, if you're flying Singapore's old, I call it old business class, but I, I suppose it might be any of their business class. It is bulkhead or bust. For those that have flown Singapore business, most of the business class seats, you have this small little cubby hole. And the intent is, is that 
the seat folds forward flat. It doesn't like kind of lay back like most business class seats. And the idea is that you lay kind of slanted, right? Mm -hmm. Diagonal. Yeah, diagonal. Just like what you would with like a reverse herringbone seat, except that you've got like a lot more shoulder room, so to speak. But your foot room is maybe a foot and a half wide. It's something really, really tiny. If you have the bulkhead seat, your foot well is the entire width of your seat. It is better than most first class seats. And when you've got a lap infant, it makes all the difference. Even without the lap infant, it makes all the difference. It literally mm -hmm. felt like flying first class. Now, do they have more than one bulkhead in business on, on a, what is it, an A350? Is that what they were flying? Yeah, I think it's the A350 900ULR, I think is the official one. Mm -hmm. And I believe they had two bulkheads in business class. And then they had a bulkhead and premium economy, but I barely looked back there. I would have felt bad. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just like, I know people that have done that flight in premium economy and more power flight. to them, but that's it's a, a long, long flight. That's a long flight. This aircraft was almost full. I think there might've been like one business class seat open. This was a completely full flight in advance of the Singapore night Grand Prix. And so having those seats were really clutch. At least there's no economy on those planes, right? I mean, at least premium economy is the lowest class. If there was economy, that might have been war crimes. I'm just going to say. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure United would figure out how to do it, but I think Singapore is too kind. Well, and I thankfully. think they do. I think, yeah, I'm pretty sure there is economy on nonstop US to Singapore flights uh, on United. But they fly San Francisco, San Francisco right? Yeah, do they do LA as well or no? I forget which ones they fly from. I, I don't know off the top of my head, but yeah. I'm pretty sure they're just on 787s, right? And they've got economy. Yeah, they are definitely just 787s. They probably have to... Okay, now I want to research to see if they use a special aircraft or not. I don't remember any word about that. So yeah. I assume they haven't. I don't even remember like Seth or the Dutch Lines Destination folks talking about blocking out seats or anything. Maybe they don't need it for... It is short distance, right? From the West Coast, I guess. It is from San Francisco. I think from LA, it, I thought LA was like the third or fourth or fifth longest commercially operated flight mm. to Singapore. So I'm rusty. I swear, like the pandemic, I'm still recovering in my AvGeek knowledge mm. for some of the stuff, just what those things canceled. But, you know, just to wrap up the Singapore flight, bulkhead or bust. Book the cook. The food's amazing. The service is amazing. The flight attendants were fantastic with our daughter. The flight attendants were fantastic with us. The IFE, I mean, IFE is really hit or miss. And this trip, I think IFE was just really miss. I mean, there was enough to entertain you, but there was nothing to get really excited about. But that mm -hmm. could also just be because there's not a lot of exciting content out there right now. So what do you think? Would you do a stopover in Frankfurt if you were to do it again? Or, would, or do you like the fact that it's nonstop all the way from New York to, to Singapore? So my wife and I discussed this one. And I think if we were going to do this again, we would do the JFK flight. So the Newark flight leaves at like 10 a.m. in the morning. And the JFK fl flight, I think, leaves at like 10 or 11 o'clock at night. Oh, and okay. the difference is, is you arrive at 5 p.m. If you take the 10 o'clock in the morning departure out of Newark, you arrive at like 5 or 10 a.m. if you take the JFK night flight. So mm. the night flight, you get to get your day of work in, you pop over to JFK, and if you've got that bulkhead seat, you're going to get really good sleep. And so you get really good sleep. You can start your day in Singapore. And if your destination isn't Singapore, you got a couple hour layover and you're to wherever you want to be. And you're there before evening. So you're already acclimated to the time zone of which you're there. Like even if you wanted to do the Maldives, you would land at like somewhere between 7 and 10 a.m. And then you could take 
it might be earlier. And you might be able to take a flight from Singapore. I have to check because they have a noon flight out. So I don't know if that JFK flight would perfectly connect in there. But you know, you can get to a lot of places, I would say, if you took that JFK night flight. You like the timing better? Although, you know, I'll be honest, you know, getting there at 5 p.m. might not be a horrible thing from a jet lag perspective. You know, you can just get to the hotel, you know, eat your dinner and then, you know, kind of fall asleep. And that might not be horrible for jet lag either. If you're arriving in Singapore, yes, I agree with that statement. If your destination is Singapore. And that's why we ended up booking it originally, because we were going to go to the Singapore Night Grand Prix, but we ended up having to vector elsewhere. So, yeah, if you're connecting, the JFK flight's better. If you're arriving into Singapore and that's your destination, I think Newark is probably preferable. So did you fly Singapore to the Maldives or did you take another flight? Yeah. So we tagged on a separate itinerary, three-hour layover in Singapore. They had Piper Heidsick this time instead of Tattinger in the uh, lounge. Mm -hmm. So we were a little disappointed there. But just wonderful food. You know, for just a generic business class lounge, it was just Mm -hmm. just wonderful. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we had a 787-10 for the five-hour flight to Maldives. Oh, okay. Got it. Okay, so it's an all-Singapore flight to the Maldives. Now, do you want to talk about your flight back now? Yeah, just to knock out the non-intra-Maldives flights, we ended up having three different itineraries. One way was back via Singapore, and then Etihad via Singapore, Abu Dhabi, and home. That was 272,000 Air Canada miles, aeroplane miles. And that was going to be first class from Abu Dhabi home. And we just felt like that was a little too expensive. And it would have been five hours in economy on Singapore to get to Singapore, plus two additional hotel nights that were going to wow. be like short nights that just wow. wasn't. Yeah. It just, it didn't feel like that kind of. Yeah. It's forcing it a bit. Yeah. It didn't feel like the experience you wanted after a relaxing trip. Mm-hmm. The second one was 210,000 American miles that I had booked before the Australia award space bonanza. Is that per person or is that for both of you? That was for all three of us because the way that they charge for infants would have been, I think, $800 or $1,000. And so I said, well, 70,000 American miles is a better deal. Mm -hmm. And so we were going to have our daughter have her own seat. And it would have been been Etihad short night and then Abu Dhabi to Dulles. And that would have been in all business. Mm -hmm. But with the bonanza of award space and a couple of sprinklings, you know, here and there, it just, it was no longer tenable. It was no longer palatable for us to take that option. We have a, a very strong desire to get back to Australia and New Zealand, and that's a family priority. So we felt we had to find another way. Okay. So found Virgin Atlantic availability from none other than Mumbai, India. Didn't really have India on our list to bring our daughter to before she turned two, but the award availability was there. The fuel surcharges were pretty steep, but there was a little bit of a travel hacker cred that I just couldn't leave on the table. So we booked a round trip. We're going back mid next year. And because we started it as our daughter is under two, we paid the infant price, you know, all the taxes and fees and stuff, but only the miles of an infant. And the way back, she will have her own seat at no Mm. additional miles or no additional costs. So they actually provisioned her her seat, which I'll get to was why, because this itinerary was complicated, it ended up creating some problems at check-in. But she'll have her own seat when we go back. I don't so know did, if she'll were even you able to book that online? I mean, like, did you have to call and they somehow create the record or something for the second seat? Or how does that work? 
I spent about two hours on the phone. It was a complicated effort, a lot of waiting on hold, but I got a stellar CSR that knew exactly what she needed to do. And she walked me through the process. She's like, okay, yeah. so first I'm going to do this. So it's a hack with effort. You. Doesn't exactly come easy, huh? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not a hack so much as it's completely publicized. This well, is what uh, they yeah. do. You're just utilizing their rules. And the problem, I guess, is it's probably not commonly utilized rule that people need to know how to do it. Exactly. Exactly. So we booked a revenue ticket from uh, Maldives to Mumbai on Vistara. That's, uh, I think, a Tata and Singapore partnership airline. Perfectly nice. I had gotten an email that said, hey, why don't you upgrade your experience to premium economy? I bought all three seats for us just because it was so cheap. Used a Capital One Venture. Um, how much was the upgrade? Upgrade was $200. Oh, and that's not bad at all. Per person or for all three of you? Oh, no, 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 no. For all three. Oh, wow. That's a no brainer. Go ahead and do it. Exactly. And the original flights, I think were, I don't know, like 150. So, you know, you figure what's that 350 for premium economy for a three or four hour flight. Yeah, not bad at all. And just given where we were flying and from where we were flying, we were, we wanted that, uh, Mm -hmm. just that Mm -hmm. extra comfort. We couldn't upgrade online, ended up upgrading at the terminal. And it was just one of those things where I just happened to say, Hey, you know, any chance of an upgrade? And, and they had the same price. And I was Mm -hmm. like, okay, great. It errored out every time I tried to do it online, but at least this works. Mm -hmm. And had we not done that, we would have been hurting puppies because we got off that plane and there were like two or three golf carts, multi-row seaters that airports usually have. And one of them, as we walked out, is like waving people down and like one couple in front of us just walked on. And I said, is there a cost? Because not that I was cheap. I was running out of cash after being in the Maldives. And they're like, no, 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 it's free. So we hopped on and they saved us an easy 10 to 20 minutes of walking. It was a long way. I mean, it was probably an eight minute drive to get to where they dropped us off to be able to get to the customs hall. Hmm. So had we not had that premium economy seat, we wouldn't have had the availability because we were the last golf cart to go. Hmm. So, you know, small little things. Overnight at Mumbai, checking in took about 40 minutes because they didn't know what the heck to do with our daughter's ticket. (laughs) <laughs> you have to be complicated, Trevor. Have to be yes. complicated. <laughs> so finally, they ended up just writing out a handwritten ticket. It's only the second time I've gotten a handwritten boarding pass. Like carbon copy and all? Like, was it the red carbon copy or something? It was the thicker weight, but it was just uh-huh. all handwritten. Okay, got it. And they sent a team member to escort us through security to make sure that uh, security let us get through. <laughs> and we actually used the paper tickets in London as well. So we got flew it. Mumbai, London, Dulles. In upper class. Was this your first Virgin flight or have you flown Virgin before? First Virgin flight in upper class. Oh, you're, you're Virgin, Virgin class. Virgin, yeah. Virgin flight. And it was an interesting one. <laughs> <laughs> so before we actually got on the plane, Mumbai doesn't seem to have many airport or airline lounges. They have a couple of like generic lounges, which were actually pretty stellar. Wonderful food spread, uh, got a foot massage for free. Oh, okay. You know, with tip. They actually had a separate area that was for first class passengers with Moet Chandon, Imperial, and and table service. So it appeared to me that like even Emirates used them. So mm-hmm. don't know what the story is of of Mumbai not having, you know, airline specific lounges, but their lounge yeah, but situation. The, but the contract lounge is pretty nice, is what you're telling me. The one that yeah, came the, with Virgin, Virgin upper class. Surprisingly nice. I have mm. to say, surprisingly nice. On board, those seats are tight. Like, I made the mistake. The notorious herringbone seats, or are these a different kind? They were the notorious herringbone seats. Wow. 
Okay. We were on a 7879. Okay. I made the mistake. We got like the last seats available because we booked this so close in. And so we're, you know, you know, back toward the bar. The bar mm-hmm. wasn't the problem. It was the storage area because, you know, the bar takes up some of the uh, overhead storage. And uh, we had yeah. a bunch of stuff. I mean, yeah. you know, yeah. we're, we're team carry on. Ended up stowing everything, trying to get comfortable in these rather tight seats. Because we're on the K side, we're staring at the people in the middle. Of like, I don't are. understand who, <laughs> I don't know, like, this is an old product and they keep putting it on aircraft. I don't get it. Well, they <laughs> like, stopped to they, stare. They did stop a couple of years ago, but it's, you know, the problem is it still haven't cycled through. I mean, they, they still got what, 787s with these, 330s with these, you know, I think some of the newer 787s and the 350s have different seats, but. I've heard this, but yes. it just boggles my mind. I mean, 787 is a fairly new aircraft and you put this seat on. Uh, I guess, but I mean, you know, it's been around for a little while. Fair, fair. But anyway, so here we are, we're staring at people and this one uh, mother daughter pair get into their middle seats a little bit ahead of us. And my bag happened to be over the mother's seat. She was not very happy about this. Now she didn't know it was me, but she was very particular that the bin over my seat is mine. Mm -hmm. She was ready to put a plaque on it. I'm pretty convinced of this. (laughs) <laughs> did I you have a lot to, of stuff to stow or did you just, it was just the concept? No, it was just a concept. I mean, half the bin was empty. She kept her purse down in front of her feet and she had a smaller carry-on bag mm-hmm. and her daughter was the same way. So it was literally just the principle of the matter. And, mm-hmm. and, and so. I hate people like that. They deserve a special level of hell for those people. And she kept giving me the stink eye too, because yeah, I, I had flagged the flight attendant down. I said, Hey, back. Oh, I did. <laughs> and I said to the flight attendant, I said, that's my bag. If you've got another place for it, it can go anywhere on this plane. I don't really care. I just, you know, if that settles that woman down, that's enough for me. And and the flight attendant was so thankful and just, <laughs> you know, politely did it. She's like, in principle, I will never do that. Right. She right. said to me, but you volunteered it. And I appreciate the fact that you did. This woman didn't give up. And ultimately the purser had to pull her up to the forward galley to settle her down. And then started placating her with alcohol. <laughs> oh, okay. Like literally like was, have you had a pre-departure beverage? Here, how, how about two? <laughs> she was doing what she could. And that just seemed to be like the vibe of this particular flight. You know, it was my first experience. I was sort of like, wow, this is kind of weird. Food was interesting. Hmm. What, what does that mean exactly? Interesting. <laughs> I had a Cobb salad appetizer and that was fine. Uh-huh. The main meal Reminded me, do you remember the, and, and we'll include this in the show notes, do you remember the Virgin Atlantic most hilarious complaint letter that Richard Branson's ever gotten? I don't think I do. So it was a flight from India to the UK, I think. And it was just very comical. We'll include the link in the show notes, but it includes photos of the food that's mm-hmm. on, that's barely recognizable. And it's like, Richard, is this, this is a catastrophe of, of culinary Distaste. Something of that. I, that's not a direct quote. Must have been a, must have been just, a British customer. Oh, it had to have been. It had to have been. It was hilarious. So I had gotten the least spicy according to what they told us, uh-huh. you know, from a spice perspective. And I, I had one bite and I was done. Did, did, I mean, did they not have a Western option? Like they didn't have a Western option for you? No, no, they did not have a... Oh, they, interesting. It was all Indian options? It was all Indian options. Wow. That's surprising on an international carrier. Usually they, you know, they, for that exact reason, you know, some people are just more sensitive to that. I mean, I, I think Trevor is one of those people. I think he is, he is, he's definitely a little sensitive to a spice 
So I think, you know, having a Western option that is maybe more catered to people with less or with more sensitivity to that, it's probably a good idea. But anyway. Yeah. Yeah. But I survived, made it to the Virgin Clubhouse in London, ended up flying a few hours later to Dulles, made the worst mistake I could have of the entire trip. Oh, what's that? We skipped dinner uh-huh. and we went to sleep immediately upon getting far enough in the air to recline. Okay. and. It was just a, not reclined, but to fold the seat forward. It was the worst choice I could have made because I slept for six hours, six, seven hours, woke up hungry, and all of us were so jet lagged that at 2 a.m., so this flight arrives at 1130 in the evening into Dulles. We got like one or two hours of sleep, and then we were wide awake. And <laughs> we so, so it's Saturday morning, and we're wide awake at 2 a.m. as Ophelia yeah. is coming in. And we're like, what are we going to do? And then we proceeded to have the same problem on Sunday morning. Like, we were, <laughs> we extended our jet lag like nobody's business. Like, we're, this was like a new mistake. Yeah. Yeah. But overall, I guess I'd say Virgin Atlantic was fine. And the flight attendant that I helped out on that first flight happened to introduce what fine actually means, at least as she says it. Feelings inside not expressed. <laughs> <laughs> well, but you know, it sounds like you had really good cabin crew, which has always been my experience. Like I've never, I think, had bad Virgin cabin crew, and I've flown them now in several classes actually, because I've, I've definitely flown them upper class. I've flown them economy actually lately has been mostly in economy, and you know they're all very friendly and they're extremely nice. And you know, again, I I find them among the most helpful and kind of genuine, warm kind of flight crew that's out there. I would agree with that assessment. I totally would agree with that. Helps make up for the lousy seats in business class, at least on a 330 or I guess some 787s. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, we're giving them another shot on the way back. But uh, Hopefully you have some better equipment. That reminds me, I need to go in and change our seats because I had all our seats in K and that is just not going to fly. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. If it's that herringbone seat, yeah, you definitely want to be in the, what, A? Yeah, I think it's the A. Yep, yep. So I guess those are the flights. I guess now we can are we are we moving to the main event? I think it is the main event, the Maldives. Is, is it Maldives time? Wow. So I have to say, you've been there what, four times? I have, in a variety of different places. And yep, I love it. I love the Maldives. I would definitely go back again. Nothing you've ever told me, and obviously you've been nothing but positive about the Maldives. Nothing that you ever told me could have prepared me for this experience. Yeah, you know, we've talked about the Maldives and it's, it's a pretty divisive place, right? There are lots of people who are like, I'm never going to the Maldives or, you know, why would I need to go that far away to experience, you know, kind of a beach vacation when, you know, there's Caribbeans right next door or maybe Hawaii or something like that. But you're right. You know, it's one of those places where you don't know until you know, right? And that's exactly the thing. I was the guy who was skeptical. I was like, well, why am I going to go all this way? And the reason we did it is because it was going to be cheaper now than than after our daughter turned two. And so we ended up, because we arrived late, we took the boat over to the Sheridan for one night. Mm-hmm. That was okay. The only thing I would say about that is, is if you're going to go to the Maldives, the Sheridan is a waypoint. It is not your destination. And I didn't know it's the same easy. thing. I know it's yeah. cheap. But don't fall into that lull. The Sheridan is not a Maldivian experience. I mean, it's all right, but it's not why you're flying halfway around the world. Yeah. If all you're going to experience is the Sheraton, then yeah, it's probably not enough given the the distance, the cost, the expense of, of time and money. You will leave not having experienced enough. 
I think, if you just do the Sheraton. And again, there's nothing wrong with the Sheraton. I've stayed at that Sheraton too, in much the same scenario where the beauty of the Sheraton is it is so close to the airport that you do not need to hop another plane to get there, where almost all the other resorts, you have to hop another plane in order to get to that resort. And as a result, it's nice for, you know, just an overnight because the other options for you in Malir can be a little bit dicey. And I've stayed in one of those too, and I can talk about that. But in any case, you know, it's not a bad place if you need an overnight before kind of, the, you know, your main event resort, island resort. Yeah, I couldn't agree with that more. And when you talk main event, the moment that we stepped foot back on Malay, it just felt like we had stepped into a new world. The <laughs> airport butler for the St. Regis, we stayed at the St. Regis uh, Maldives Vamuli Island, was there to welcome us by name. There were two of us. There were two couples or well, one family, us, and then a couple. And one butler for the couple, one butler for us, escorted us over to get the Trans-Maldivian Airways, escorted us to the seaplane. In the process of escorting us over to the seaplane terminal, which is brand new, only opened a year ago, they just, you know, slip in little things like, how would you like us to refer to you? You know, do you want to be Mr. Mountcastle? Mm -hmm. Do you want to be Trevor? You know, that sort of thing. And I said, yeah, yeah, Trevor's fine. Pop us into a van over to the seaplane terminal, Wi-Fi. They get us all set up and they get us set up with a Wi-Fi that just then works in the St. Regis Lounge which had only been open for seven months and was very comfortable, gave us breakfast. They had a kid's room. We couldn't get our daughter out of it. We had a personalized welcome video from our butler. Wow, fancy. Yeah, yeah. Video production even, huh? Yeah, exactly. They took a photo of us in the lounge, which I think was a strategic way for them to be able to you know, convey how to know who we are to the staff at the island. I can just imagine a wall with your picture on it you know, for the staff. Like, Oof. this guy, Trevor. You know, <laughs> I, I almost felt like it was probably more like NCIS, like when they're like, have you uh, seen this person you, or this well, person like on the tablet? FBI is most wanted, you know, like that's what it's kind of like, right? A bunch of mugshots. <laughs> Way to class up the experience. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> hey, it's back a house. You're not supposed to see it. It's back a house. <laughs> so the flight was actually one of the longer flights. We had crossed time zones. We were in Bangladesh time zone. On this uh, seaplane, 13 passengers, two cockpit crew, flight attendant, and then uh, one other pilot was in uh, was as a passenger. So they must have had more than one stop then. Did you actually have 13 people on board? Yeah. And I think we were even more full on the way back, but maybe only by one or two. But they do stop at another. It's not really an island. It's effectively a barge or like a floating dock. And then a boat comes to it is yeah, the second stop. But that was my experience, I think, at the Conrad. I think we did a seaplane to like kind of like a dock area and then the boat comes out and takes you from there. They flew around the island like three, four times. So I got some mm. really great photos of the resort. You know, despite it being a fairly small island. I mean, I rode around the the island in, I don't know, like five minutes. You know, I could do a lap around the island on a bike, but like they have a little seaplane dock and they had probably 10 or 15 staff there waving, welcoming us. We were welcomed by name by our butler. Mm. So for those of you who are, I'm just envisioning Fantasy Island, you know, I don't know. I guess some people might, that might who are a little younger may not know what that is, but that's what I'm uh, channeling when, when you tell that story. This felt like White Lotus, like the first well, okay, season fine. White of White Lotus. Lotus. Okay, fine. White Lotus sounds good too. Okay, that's about right. That was the kind of experience. I mean, they quickly whisked us up to a nice little area to sit. They had coconuts for us. They had somebody from the kids club that gave a, our daughter a gift that was a nice little bag, which we ended up using the entire week for her stuff, as well as a nice little stuffed uh, whale. 
and uh, we learned that they had babysitting services. So we were very excited about that. I've got to say, you know, that is probably the number one, like highest, like, what do you call it? Return on investment amenity that a five-star hotel can do is a stuffed animal. You know, like how much does that really cost them? You know, it probably costs them nothing, but you know, it's just, everybody talks about it. You know, I know a lot of five-star hotels, you know, they'll like wheel out like, you know, like a little uh, radio flyer with a whole bunch of like teddy bears or something. And I'll pick one of these, you know, like those are the types of things that you hear about all the time. And, but you know, it's probably one of those things that doesn't necessarily cost them a ton to do, but they do it and everybody talks about it. There is no question. I mean, the stuffed animals probably very low cost for great impact. I mean, mm-hmm. our daughter has stuffed animals from the Park Hyatt Vendome, Paris, Zurich. She's a stuffed panda from the Park Hyatt DC. Each of these stuffed animals, sometimes she sleeps with them. Like mm-hmm. she kind of rotates them in. They all have a special place in her heart. I bet you that as she gets older, when she's able to read what they say, she's going to be mm-hmm. like, oh, I got this from here. And then Mm -hmm. she'll kind of associate those experiences because I know we'll go back because of how they treated us. And again, the keepsakes. Yeah, no, it's smart. It's smart for a five-star hotel to offer those things. And, you know, you're right. They become cherished keepsakes going forward. And, you know, that's the best kind of advertising. It really is. Yeah. So even the GM was there again, addressed us by name. I was pretty impressed with that. You know, for all the really nice hotels that I've stayed at, it's not often that the GM is there right at the beginning of your stay. I would actually say that that's actually for the Maldives. I think that's pretty common. <laughs> and that's a fair point. That's a so fair I, point. I would say of, you know, and again, I've had some experiences, not at the St. Regis, you know, I've been to the Park Hyatt, I've been to the, the Conrad, and I think both instances, I definitely did meet the GM in, in both cases. So. Yeah. So after we had a little bit of that coconut and everybody sort of, you know, welcomed us and everything, we got whisked into a golf cart and down to our overwater villa. We booked that for 88000 a night for five nights, fifth night free. So I think that was like 68,000 per night. It was probably my best redemption that I've ever made. Just based on the enjoyment we got out of this overwater. uh, So the value extracted from points is really good. Yeah. Especially for Marriott points. I mean, when I looked and I usually try not to use the look when you're like there or just before you get there as a definitive dollar value, but it was about $2,500 a night. Now, mm-hmm. if I, now I looked in October and it was like $3,400 a night. So I don't know, I'm assuming that it's somewhere between $2,000 and $4,000 a night for this overwater villa with a pool. And that pool was clutch because our daughter's like just, our daughter just wants to swim all the time. Mm-hmm. And so we swam two, three times a day in our overwater villa pool, which was just clutch. But our butler kind of introduces us to the room, shows us around before we've even seen the porch deck, we'll call it a deck. Our daughter took to him and even let him hold her and kind of show her the pool. Wow. And your daughter is, she's a, she's a pretty picky person in terms of who she, uh, you know, opens up to as for people, isn't she? She is. And so like here we're like, okay, number one, we're already floored with this arrival experience. And now our daughter's, you know, taken to you. This is awesomeness. And that night we ended up at dinner she took to one of the servers and that server happened to be where we ate dinner was the same place where we had breakfast every day. And she saw that server every day and Mm -hmm. she'd go for a walk with her. She'd let her carry her. Like these are things that we've never seen out of our daughter. I mean, you know, you know, it's hard enough to get her to let you carry her. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like to find a just stranger, you know, I guess it's a compliment to the staff there. But, you know, I will tell you that, you know, one of the things that comes with kind of these, you know, Maldives vacations is you're kind of this captive audience on this small 
you know, island, you know, the only people there are the people who are staff in the hotel and the guests. And they're usually not huge numbers of people. You know, there's a small number of villas, usually each of these resorts. And, you know, so it's not uncommon to have the same server every night of your, or every morning and night of your, you know, five night stay. It's not uncommon to have the same staff interact with you over and over and over again during that trip, which is, again, part of some of the charm. I think it's probably adds to why you felt this Maldives vacation was kind of special. It really did. And the thing that cracked me up though was they had to have had a bunch of rooms. I didn't get a count of how many rooms they had. They had like the Mm -hmm. Caroline Astor estate, which was a, you know, probably like a three or four bedroom compound. It felt like on land, they had some villas or tree houses that were, you know, inland with no water or beach access. They had some beach villas. They had two different piers. We were on the biggest of the piers, which was actually kind of nice. We were over by the John Jacob Astor estate. I actually happened to just chat up one of the uh, room attendants and he gave us a tour, which was incredible. I mean, they have literally two king suites, a pool, obviously. They have like a beach on their deck. I know that sounds weird. It's like not a beach into the water, but like, you know, a bunch of sand. You know, if you like to have your feet in the sand, you could do that in your John Jacob Astor estate. And they gave us bikes. So like I rode around the uh, island a few times each day. You just didn't realize how many rooms there were. You never knew that there were that many people there until Tuesday night, which was our third to last night or uh, second to last night where we had done this. We'd gotten this grill experience. Didn't work out for us the way we wanted it. They were going to do it on the beach, but because of weather, they had to do it in Alba, which is the restaurant where they do breakfast and some dinners. We ended up eating there most of our nights because we loved the staff there. And um, they do a manager's reception beforehand. That was the first time. And we'd already been there. So we got in there on Saturday and it's Tuesday night. And that's the first time that we actually had an understanding of how many people were on this island. Well, that's not surprising though. You know, I mean, that's kind of standard. I mean, they designed those places. The architecture of those places are designed so you're not seeing your neighbors. You don't know the scale of the place. I mean, the whole idea is to kind of make it that kind of private retreat, right? I mean, that's kind of what they envision from start to finish. See, you make it sound like this is all meh, meh, meh. And I'm like, wow, this is incredible. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm not trying to minimize it, but I'm trying to explain to you that it is part of the recipe that is a Maldives vacation. And I totally get it. I mean, and it's the small little things. The fact that, you know, so many of the staff, even though we had not really had many interactions with like the other Mm -hmm. butlers, other than the occasional ride when they just happen to be going by, hey, you want to ride? You know what? Sure. Why not? (laughs) As I was carrying our daughter, they have the whale bar for where they do the traditional sabering. This is a little bit different the way they do the sabering though. So all the butlers have like this procession. One comes out with a saber. One comes out with a bottle. And they actually tie the cork to the bottle so that, you know, they're not throwing a cork into the uh, Oh, they're trying to be environmentally uh, conscious, huh? Yeah. What's biodegradable? Isn't cork biodegradable? I don't know. Anyway. Well, you got the glass, you got the cork. And the other thing, because of the ribbon that they tie it with, it also makes it easier because you're in some cases, like we were probably a good 20 feet away from where they did the sabering. And so you see, you don't see the cork go, but you see the ribbon that is holding the cork. We can see where it's going. But by the way, we should just interject here in a second and just mention that this was a St. Regis and St. Regis does have this tradition. We've now, I've probably experienced this tradition with you now, what, at least three or four times at different St. Regis's around the world. But that is actually pretty brand standard for them to do a champagne saber ceremony 
in the evening at St. Regis. That's that we've had that pretty common now, or at least it seems to be the brand standard across the chain. Except that they didn't give anybody glasses of it. They didn't give anybody. Uh, <laughs> oh, really? They literally Surprising. savored it. I think somebody that I talked to said that maybe they sell that bottle to whoever wants to buy it oh, versus, okay. versus you know, the samples. I would never buy that bottle, by the way, having had it, you know, as we have. The problem is, is that they prep the bottle as most people, you know, do is you prep the bottle with the neck in the ice. What that means is that the oh, rest of the, the bottle- sediment. All the sediment is, is kind of coming down that way, doesn't it? No, it's not the sediment. It's the fact that the body of the bottle is not as cold. And so oh, I like okay. my champagne particularly cold. The this, neck is the is coldest a, This part. is another particular peccadillo of our friend Trevor here. He's, he is a stickler for temperature of sparkling wine and, and champagne. Yes. Yeah. But by putting the neck of the bottle in the bottom of the ice bucket, it makes the glass more brittle and makes right. it easier right. to savor. Yep. It just means yep. that the experience of the bottle, if that's your strategy, when I saber, what I do is I just put the neck of the bottle in the back of the fridge. Or maybe that's why the, they don't want to serve that champagne. You know, maybe they're like, oh, well, you know, our guests would be you know, upset by the temperature of this champagne in, in order to be able, us to be able to savor it correctly here in the tropics. Could be, could be. Yeah. But I mean, the overall experience was just the attention to detail and everything I just was overwhelmed with. I mean, so far I'm hearing a lot of like kind of the amazing aspects of the St. Regis, but you know, I think one of the other things you really, I think, probably need to relay to our listeners is, you know, what are the other, you know, kind of special things about the Maldives itself? Like, I think there's something about the environment, wouldn't you say? That's true. That's true. So, and what I've read is the Maldives doesn't have the most amazing reef, but I had the chance, we saw some eagle rays. I had the chance to snorkel with black tip sharks just beautiful, beautiful fish. I am not a fish person. I am not a diver. So I pretty much just threw on, they give you life jackets, they give you the snorkeling gear. And could I have done the snorkeling without a life jacket? Yeah, probably. But I was feeling lazy. I'm on vacation. And I just found that I was just swimming and looking at all these beautiful, beautiful fish. And it was just peaceful. I mean, you forget that there's any world out there when yep. you've got yep. your face in the water and you're just, you know, you got the snorkel going and you're just Putting away. What you've just mentioned there is probably one of the most essential parts of a Maldive vacation because it's that convenience to just literally just wake up, walk off your, you know, overwater villa, you know, put on snorkels, put on a life jacket, and then immediately you're communing with, you know, aqua life and, you know, getting to see beautiful fish. And that is part of the uniqueness because I don't know that you're going to get that in the Caribbean or in Hawaii. I probably the only place which I have not yet been to that you could probably compare it to is maybe like Tahiti or something like that. that yeah, might, that or might, that Bora might Bora, I think. Bora Bora, yeah, exactly. That might be where you might be able to replicate. But even then, Bora Bora has a slightly different environment, you know, and the ocean looks a little different because you, know, you got kind of this lagoon, you know, island thing happening over there. Whereas, you know, the Maldives really has that kind of pristine white sand. There are different types of reefs and such, but one of these resorts, these island resorts are kind of isolated under themselves and have some kind of reef to speak of, because that's generally how they're created, right? And there are always these atolls, right, where they have these reefs. So that's pretty common and almost necessary for most of these resorts to have something like that. Yeah. And there are not enough words in the alphabet, at least that I know in the English language to convey mm -hmm. just how pristine that water is and just how just being able to look down for tens of feet. Mm -hmm. I didn't go as far as I probably Pro Probably the most have. you've ever experienced because, you know, you, you go to these other places, other beaches and things like that. You don't have that visibility and that clarity usually. 
you know, because you're right there in the open ocean, essentially. The only other place I had this experience was in the Seychelles. And oh, got it. Got it. Which would make sense. And to be honest with you, this felt so much better than the Seychelles. I felt like the Seychelles was just sort of, I was an intruder. <laughs> it just didn't right, feel right. natural. Whereas everything about the St. Regis experience just felt like we belonged there. We were comfortable. We were welcomed. You know, the food was great. The staff was incredible. Really funny experience. I think it was Sunday or Monday. We had just dropped our daughter off at the babysitter at the kids club. Mm-hmm. And we ended up having to go back because she wasn't settling. By the time we got there, she was settled. And so we said, okay, well, let's just sneak over to the bar, the beach bar, and uh, grab a drink. If she unsettles, we're only you know a couple of minutes walk away. So we sit down at the bar, order a nice bottle of champagne, and two or three seats down the bar, somebody leans forward and looks right at me and says, is your name Trevor? <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't you know, it's Raven Maven who's in this group, who is Milonomics uh, Patreon member. And so we had hung out, she had attended a, a reselling due that we had done many years ago in uh, Maryland. And so it was just fun to be able to chat with a friend. This shouldn't be surprising for it those in our be. community. It should not be. It should not be. But I'm still it, pretty it was, surprised. Well, you know, if there was a Mecca, you know, for miles and points enthusiasts, wouldn't one of those areas be the Maldives? I would think so. You know, I've definitely met people in the Maldives that are now friends of mine that I didn't know before going there. And these are like miles and points people. So that is not that surprising to me at all, by the way. Like I shouldn't have been surprised, but I just, you know, you feel like you're so remote (laughs) that you lull yourself into that comfortable, like, yeah, we are just so far away from everybody. I'm not surprised, but I um, love hearing the anecdote. I love the anecdote is great. (laughs) It doesn't shock me. What it does is confirms my pre-existing notions of the Maldives. Yeah. Like, I mean, everything about the experience just blew me away. I mean, our butler, Hussein, even offered to like unpack our suitcases. Not that we let him, but like, I mean, I'm not used to that kind of experience. Right. <laughs> I'm not used to anybody even offering I, that. I, I like, I'm just know, happy like that they it. deliver the bags to the room. <laughs> I like your word choice because you said it blew you away. Does that include the bill for your food? You know, there's a reason why I called Five Star Famine. (laughs) Yeah. This was an interesting thing for us, right? So the hotel offered, if you spend $300 or if you commit to $300 a day, you get $50 more per day. So we ended up committing to $1,500 in food and beverage. That didn't include the 25% service and taxes. So mm-hmm. needless to say, we ended up spending that seventeen fifty for the five days and then some. And that didn't even include the uh, grill experience, which was $495 for the two of us, which we yep. prepaid to be able to get, I think it was like a 50 or $100 discount. I would say that's pretty customary. I mean, like I've been there before for four or five days and what you paid for food and beverage doesn't sound too off base of what I might have paid back then. And, you know, it's just one of the things just that is the one aspect of a Maldives vacation, just realize it's going to be expensive. I mean, even if you get the rooms for free, you still have to pay for the transfers and the food there is expensive. Even if you do get maybe free breakfast and you can kind of calibrate yourself to maybe doing two meals a day, just the one free breakfast and one other meal. And we were planning to do that. I mean, we brought oatmeal, we brought all this stuff. I don't know if it was because our daughter's under two, they didn't charge us for any meals that she had. So we got like fruit for her at lunch. Kids for free dinner for her. She had ice cream. I mean, we paid $8 a scoop for ice cream. She got ice cream for free. (laughs) And we didn't want to be like those people that were trying to mooch and try to, you know, hey, order that for the baby and uh, 
you know, we'll have a bite or two here or there. We tried not mm-hmm. to, to do that. I mean, you know, obviously it happens just because, you know, it happens. But we had brought oatmeal. We thought we were going to kind of try to minimize and stuff. And, and we were there and we we're like, we've traveled halfway around the world. Let's just enjoy ourselves. And the food yeah. was very good, even though it was pricey. I mean, it was like $45, $55 for a pizza plus yep. the 25%. Yep. It was a lot, but, you know, that's what we do this for, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's why we're trying to generate miles, points, and cash back. And so instead of stressing about it, we just said, you know what? We're probably going to blow our budget, but, you know, when are we going to get back here? I think you're doing it the right way. I mean, like I said, I mean, I called Five Star Famine and I did plan, you know, and I did minimize, but, you know... I also did, you know, the the several hundred dollar, you know, beach barbecue type thing, you know, which is pretty common at all these resorts. You know, they all have this like, you know, special night where, oh, this is the grill night or whatever. And you're supposed to, you know, participate or whatever. But And there's some camaraderie with that. Yeah, no, no. it's I I wouldn't say don't do it. I just say, you know, that I might not do it. Well, you first, you can't do it every night. But, you know, but, you know, you can also, you know, if you're going to be there for a while, you know, you you can calibrate a little and be like, maybe this night we will do this. And then maybe this night we'll do that. And, you know, the other thing that I recall from being in Maldives is, you know, sometimes it's even more economical just to order room service rather than dine out. Like those are the type of things that you might, you know, change or calibrate because of your location that might make more sense. Uh, where in most places that doesn't. Yeah, and totally get that. I mean, we wanted the dining experience. And part of that dining experience for us was the fact that the servers really got along well with, or our mm-hmm. daughter really got along well with the servers. And mm-hmm. so it wasn't uncommon for us. There was a South African rosé, and I just lost the name of it in my head. I didn't even put it in our notes. But there was a South African rosé that was, I thought, an affordable price. We'd order a bottle each night, and our daughter would you know, usually gives us two hours. We ended up having two and a half hour meals on average, breakfast and dinner. And part of that was the server would sometimes take her for a walk or that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, by having the meal in the restaurant, we were getting the better experience because we were able to sit, relaxing, relax, talk, have a glass of wine and just, you know, enjoy the overall experience. And so we really embraced it. Like I said, we went over budget, but I think I have no regrets in, in doing that. So I didn't put together a guest affair, but I wanted to just do a little bit of a guest affair just because we're talking Maldives and seaplane. Now you've got much more experience than I do, but I have seen like five or six or seven different data points. What, for the actual uh, seaplane transfer? Yes. Oh, okay. So I'm going to ask, what do you think the seaplane transfer was to the Maldives? It's a 45 minute seaplane flight. They stop at the St. Regis first, not to the Maldives, to the St. Regis. Then they stop at another quote unquote airport and then they fly right back to Malay. I'd say per person, I'm going to go ahead and guess $600. 800 Whoa. Okay. That's more than I thought. Whoa. Yeah. It was steep, but we didn't have to pay for our daughter. So for us, that was an even bigger reason. And like I said, we booked right into the overwater villa. Whereas I think the Park Hyatt plays games that you've got to pay cash in addition to like 30 or 40,000 points. And I didn't want to deal with that. I wanted to book the room I wanted. Just jumping back. Yeah, I've been to the Park Hyatt a couple of times and we did stay in the Overwater Villa once we played the game. We paid the extra money and we got upgraded into the the Overwater Villa. But, you know, I'll be honest, I, I didn't have too much of a problem with the land villas either. 
specifically the Park Hyatt, at least at the time we went, and I don't know if they fixed this since then, but you know, one of the things I disliked about the overall water villas was was the um, the air conditioning was not quite as good, you know, because you know the just the logistics of you know having to cool that you know building you know out over the water where it's exposed to like you know wind and high temperatures. So I think when we were there, the air temperatures were pretty high. You know, they were in the 90s or something like that. And it definitely, the room had a hard time keeping up with the cooling of the facility. And, you know, I'll be honest, the land villas there, the beach villas, I think they did have beach access. They had, uh, you know, plunge pools. That I thought I was fine with the non, but I would I definitely understand the, the need to or want to try or experience the overwater villa. I just point out that it's, you know, if you don't want to pay for it or you can always give it a shot, you know, try one of the non-overwater villas and see if it's okay for you. Because quite honestly, for me, I'm okay with some of the non-overwater villas. The snorkeling's still pretty good right off the beach. I just felt like we're going all that way. I want the penultimate you know, I want the example of what a Maldivian experience is. An overwater villa was that for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, no, I, hey, I don't want to take away from the overwater villa, but I would say know that it's not always going to be, what is it? It's not always going to be worth the extra cost if there is an extra cost. And as an opinion, you know. Totally agree. And I remember Summer Hull at one point saying uh, that she actually preferred the beach villa over the overwater at the Park Hyatt. Summer Hull of Mommy Points, now the points guy. Yeah, I think I would probably echo her her opinion. Yeah, I think I'd probably share that opinion. So Trevor, I think that's a pretty good uh, deep dive into your Maldivian adventure. It sounds like we're probably ready to close out this episode. Sounds good. For the Korean Navy Admiral and myself, the newest Maldives fanboy, in the, at least in our community, this has been the Travel Stories Podcast. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to step up your miles and points game, consider becoming a Milonomics Patreon member. Uh, Until next time, hope your next story is a travel story.